Welcome to High Potential with Indeed. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is full of grey areas, uncertainty and quite often fear. Higher Potential with Indeed is here to demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations, groundbreaking ones too. I'm your host, Jay Munro, Senior Country Marketing Manager of Australia at Indeed. And in this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion, to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. (laughs) Welcome back to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing avoiding tokenistic hires. Diversity in the workplace refers to an organisation that intentionally employs a workforce composed of individuals of varying gender, religion, race, age, ethnicity, sexual orientation, education and other attributes. According to Indeed's 2021 DNI report, while 81% of working Australians believe that people from a different ethnic or cultural background are treated equally where they work, only 73% of workers from a cultural or ethnic minority group agree, with one in five feeling they are not treated equally in the workplace. While it's important for companies to not only instate but also act upon their diversity and inclusion recruiting initiatives, it's even more crucial to not treat DNI as an item to check off on a to-do list. For this discussion, we're defining tokenism as the practice of doing something, such as hiring a person who belongs to a minority group, only to prevent criticism and give the appearance that people are being treated fairly. In this episode, we dive deep into what tokenism can look like in the workplace, how it can be harmful to your employees, and what employees need to start doing today to avoid tokenistic hires and help build a truly diverse, inclusive and belonging workplace. Today, we're joined by Madeline Hill, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Randstad Australia, to discuss why businesses must eradicate the practice of making only a perfunctory or symbolic effort towards facilitating a diverse workplace, especially by recruiting a small number of people from underrepresented groups to give the appearance of sexual or racial equality within a team. Welcome, Madeline. Hi, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. Madeline, could you start by sharing with us a little bit about your role at Randstad Australia? Sure can. So I oversee Randstad's diversity and inclusion offerings to customers. So we collaborate across our internal business and uh, and with customers as well on their strategies and policies and uh, build relationships with our customers so that we can implement uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives and create value and, and business impact for customers. That's great. And do you see that there's more desire of different customers that you have to start 
developing their diversity and inclusion practices? There is. the we, We've had uh, this role within Randstad Australia for four years and over that time we've seen um, a great increase in the work that we're doing across uh, some of the pillars that we operate in, um, anything from more gender-inclusive practices uh, and, and recruitment practices in particular to um, the hiring of Indigenous Australians and people with disability. So definitely seeing um, more customers wanting to recruit in those spaces, yes. And I, I guess that's really promising that um, such advances are, are happening at the moment. We're here today to talk about tokenism uh, which is really fascinating as a topic. And there are three components to preventing tokenism, being diversity, equity and inclusion. Can you talk to us a little about these? Sure. So diversity is around um, the types of people that you have in your organisation. So uh, ethnicity, race, gender, um, socioeconomic class, uh, sexual orientation, nationality, uh, those kind of things. And equity is making sure that everyone has equal access to the resources that you have at your disposal or within your organisation. Inclusivity means that these the, the mix of people that you have, no matter their background, um, where they're from, that they all are welcomed, they feel included, they have a voice that is heard and that they genuinely contribute to what's happening within a meeting, what's happening within the company, and um, they're, they're not there just because um, they look different, I guess. Mm. And I guess, you know, let's think about candidates or employees who do think they look different or that there's something unique about them or they're in one of those social groups. What do you think they should do if they feel or suspect that they're being tokenised at work? Look, I think this does happen unintentionally, probably. There is a fine line between tokenism and diversity. And I think that if people feel that they're being tokenised, there are a couple of preemptive things that I would I would advise, and they are things like researching the company that they are going into. So things like look at pictures, asking the company what is the ethnic and diverse makeup of the company? Is their culture one of inclusiveness? Do they actually contribute in meetings? And to ask in interview as well, ask the manager, because managers are such an important linchpin in this part of the diversity and inclusion conversation. Managers are there to make sure that meetings are inclusive, to make sure that people um, feel valued and feel welcomed and feel that they belong. Candidates should never feel that they have to be rolled out, that they sh- that they have to be the um, the representative for the uh, the group that they that they are representing, because it's it contributes to making people feel anxious. It, there are studies that show that it impacts mental health in a negative way, creates frustration and disillusionment, negatively contributes to turnover. So there are a whole bunch of you know negative impacts that these people feel if they are being tokenised. And so companies need to be very careful about that because 
they're, they're actually doing more of a disservice and then you've got your name out there in the market um, with negative branding and um, you're actually behind the eight ball even more so than you were had you not hired. I, I think, you know, it's all of our responsibility to try and recognise tokenism and when it's happening and, and who's being affected by that uh, in the workplace. But I think this is where it becomes really interesting and quite challenging is sometimes there might be a bit of peer pressure on managers uh, saying that they need to employ people from certain groups um, when it may not, you know, it may end up in tokenism. Do you have any advice for those managers who may be feeling a bit pressured or being told they need to employ certain candidates? I think it is about intent and authenticity. So, for example, a company that is just starting out their DNI journey, you've got to start somewhere. And so, my advice to managers would be perhaps to hire a couple of people at the same time who are diverse and that might take a couple of different hiring managers across the organisation to do that. But to be open and transparent about where you are in the journey of this DNI journey that the organisation is on so that you come across with authenticity and be transparent about what you're hoping to achieve and, and the why. The why is always so important. For managers who are being pressured, it's about them also asking, well, what are, what is the objective and where are we going with this? And so what is my involvement and what training is there, not just for me, for you know, my team across the organisation? So there are a number of things that a manager can bring up. And it, it depends on the type of requests being made too. So organisational readiness uh, for example, to take on people who are of an Indigenous heritage, there does need to be some training, some organisational readiness, some cultural awareness of how you support Indigenous Australians in the workplace and having a buddy system, some, some mentoring for that employee is also really important to the longevity of that employee. So, Sometimes there really needs to be some pushback from hiring managers because to hire someone without the support mechanisms is just, uh, I've seen it, it doesn't end well. And that, that goes for lots of, different, lots of different groups and people with disability is another one. If, if there's not the support there, it doesn't go well. And it, for the employee, it, it can be really you know, frustrating and, and just demoralising as well. And so you've got these impacts on individuals and, and their mental health and uh, can be so easily remedied by um, knowing what what you're doing and just reaching out and asking for help. Yeah, it, it's so important to know how to support individuals from those different backgrounds and groups. I'm wondering if you are a manager and you have made a hire of someone who is uh, from a, a diverse background. Do you have to tell them up front that, you know, it's not a tokenistic hire or how do you deal with that or do you just make sure you can support them in the way that they need to be supported? 
I think, again, the manager-employee relationship is critical and it depends on where you are in in the journey because for me if i was walking into a new organization on my in my first week and there were no other women there i'd be looking around thinking what is going on here and should I have known this? Did I? It's, it's a fine line, I think. My advice would be if you are making your first diversity hire, that again, be be transparent, be honest and authentic about the the why, and that we we actually want to hire you for your skills and your abilities, not because you're female or not because you're you're whatever it is, that you have the right skills and abilities and attitude to do the job. That's first and foremost. So it just depends on where an organisation is in their journey. But to your point around supporting, that is the most critical part and that is making sure that um, people are able to be heard in a meeting. And we've all been in meetings with people who... Um, you know, the loudest voice is heard or um, someone who talks over the top of other people. And the manager's role is really to ensure that everyone has a say and that people feel that what they say is valuable, uh, regardless of where they're coming from or um, and that the reaction to what they say is never belittled belittlement or being judgmental or putting people down because that stifles any contribution that, uh, in fact, the whole room makes. So um, the in answer to your question, both, I would say the manager needs to support uh, and if I am going to be the only female in the department, then probably a heads up about it might, might be good. Uh, but also sharing the why and the intent and, and where you're on in this journey would be helpful. What about other employees who may, you know, make assumptions or start saying that that new person was hired because they are a female or they are Indigenous? Do we, do we really have to educate them um, and how do we go about that? I, I think yes. Uh, because the last thing that any employee needs to hear is that they are that they've been hired because they are you know indigenous or because uh, I need to tick that box of diversity and we have a target for hiring someone with a disability. It's um, demoralizing and humiliating for individuals. So I think that managers have an obligation to um, you know, if that if that comes up or, you know, to be talking about the person's ability and their experience and what they bring, the value that they bring to the table, to the organisation, uh, because that is always why we should hire people. And uh, just because someone is of a certain ethnic group or a certain um, minority group, then that, you know, it's probably even more reason to to say this is why we've hired them and to really shut down those kind of negative conversations because those um, water cooler conversations can be quite dangerous and 
there is definitely a benefit for companies to have one voice and one message when it comes to these kind of communications and managers, again, uh, are the linchpin and, and also senior people within the team that um, are able to help shut down those water cooler conversations if they're negative around, you know, that they actually have great skills or they've got this kind of experience and we can all benefit and uh, understanding the, uh, the, the real piece that sits behind it is critical for, for everybody. I, I feel like, it, you know, it's unfortunate, but I feel like it's really unreasonable to have to justify hiring decisions that we're hiring based on skill or talent or experience to others in the workplace. You, you know, it just shouldn't happen. But it does. Yeah. It does. And and it's also a bit un, unreasonable or unfair to have to explain to our new team members, you know, you weren't hired because you're from that group. You know, you, know, you were hired for the skill. It should just be what the hire is based on. Really? Absolutely. And I think my company is about to experience this because we um, we have been fortunate enough to receive a grant from the federal government to do work with customers actually, but we've we're going to be one of those customers ourselves, and that is taking on people with disability into our organization. And that there's a whole change piece around it. There's training involved. We've, we're partnering with very specialised disability training provider. We've got cultural assessments happening. So there, there is a whole cultural transformation that needs to happen in order for us to be welcoming. And, uh, and, and we do have people with disability working in our organisation already, but to, to really embrace this, we, we've taken that next step and it will be very interesting to see what the reaction is and how much training is required or what conversations need to be had if they need to be had at all. And we're certainly opening ourselves up for review because we, we have Latrobe University are doing an analysis on it and the good, the bad and the ugly will be there in a report to see. But I think it is about taking those unintentional barriers away and people's opinions and conversations and all of those things under the surface really need to be addressed for people to be welcomed and feel that they really belong, that it's not just a tick box exercise, but that you are genuinely, authentically wanting to embrace these people for their contribution and the value and the perspectives that they have to offer. It's really admirable that Randstad's involved in this, but when you you said just then a tick box exercise, some of these programs that encourage diverse candidates to apply, it, it can potentially feel like, you know, they're going to be a diversity hire, um, which can take away from their experience and skills. So do you know yet, I, I'm sure you're still planning and working this out, but do you know how to support these candidates in, I guess, not feeling that way? I'm not sure we 
do entirely. Um, and the, the point of the Recruit Able pilot is to uncover those barriers. And so uh, candidates that we employ um, will be interviewed and, and, you know, we obviously will be transparent about this and um, uh, th- this is how we embed the, the process in our business is finding out what the unintentional barriers are and, and what the issues might be for different individuals. Uh, so we need to draw that out because like the Indeed report illustrates, sometimes you think you're doing a great job with DNI, but what do your employees actually think? And, and there's a gap between you know, organisations thinking they're doing a great job and and the reality of that for individuals. And for us, part of this pilot is the not, not just acknowledging that that may be the case, but actually what are the details that sit behind that so that we can learn from it, not just for our organisation, but so that we can push push that message out there for other organisations as well. And, and I guess sharing those learnings with your employee base as well will, will help them feel supported and included. 100%. Part of our report showed that a huge number of Australians feel they need to hide themselves or part of who they are in the workplace for fear of discrimination, retaliation, a whole heap of, of negative, negative responses. Do you think that people would be likely to hide part of themselves because of fear that they have been tokenized? I think the research shows that people definitely do. Um, And for the people that we take on through the Recruit Able pilot, um, I would hope that that's not the case because there there is a lot of training happening and uh, a lot of work being done around that. Um, But the, the research certainly shows that across many minority groups that people absolutely uh, don't bring their whole selves to work and and for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and I think that managers, again, are the linchpin here by, um, you know, managers who um, foster inclusive workplaces and who uh, really support people um, they're, they're, the statistics show and the Diversity Council of Australia has some good um, stats on this that uh, inclusive managers, um, their staff will be something like it's, I think it's six times um, better at uh, innovation and they'll be um, two and a half times better with their discretionary effort that they provide if they're able to be their authentic selves at work. And so there are all of these benefits for um, the organisation, for employees and not just the minority group employees but all employees if you have an inclusive manager. So the training um, is is critical and for the employees, the it's you know my, my heart breaks that we we have people in the workforce who feel that they have to hide their personalities and or their or their unique talents because they're not being supported to bring that out and and we don't draw that out for the benefit of them and for for the whole business. So um, yeah, it's absolutely it's it's critical. Um, that 
managers support people and that the wider there is awareness across the wider organization as well we we all make mistakes though um particularly when we're leading other people you can't get it right every time what if we are or we have made a tokenistic hire um, and we don't realise, are there any telltale signs or things that we should be aware of to alert us to that? I think it is about, uh, I think there are telltale signs if you look for them. Um, Certainly if people don't feel that they are being included, they will stop contributing because they're disillusioned or they've, they've been shut down. And so if you've got someone in your team who isn't contributing, it, it is about having that conversation. And pe- people won't always um, acknowledge that and come forward with that as well. So it is about, you know, how, how do I as a manager support people? And I think it's also about acknowledging when you've done, you know, you potentially haven't done the right thing and being honest about that and saying, I noticed that you're being, you know, being really quiet, you're not contributing. Can you share what has happened to create this and and take responsibility and accountability for that? Because you're absolutely right. We don't get it right all of the time as managers. And um, managers need to be reaching out for help and they need to acknowledge that, um, you know, they need help and that there there is definitely help out there across the organisation or uh, whether it's training or whether they need someone to um, mentor them or coach them or they need to connect their employee, particularly employee, to a mentor or to, to a coach. So it's about having the discussion in a respectful way um, t- for everybody's benefit, but it is uh, absolutely about acknowledging that as managers we can't always get it right uh, and the intent, if the intent is good, and I hear this, I was speaking to one of our partner organisations earlier in the week, uh, uh, one of our Indigenous partners, because we're about to launch our first reconciliation action plan and I was talking to them and asking for their advice about how to launch it and what do we do and they had some amazing information that I just there's I would never have thought of those kind of things so reaching out to um, partners or other companies or you know friends that might be able to help is is critical because there is great knowledge out there you just have to tap into it. I think going back just a little bit there um, I think there's a big shift that needs to happen with managers in particular uh, when you have a disengaged team member, quite often because of pressures and, and you know, targets or metrics to meet, you don't think about why you just, you know, approach it as a, a disciplinary meeting or performance management. Um, so that shift is to have more of that conversation happening and, and try to uncover uh, what it may be that's impacting that that team member. Do we, is it fair though if someone is a you know a candidate of a diverse background in the team and the only one is it fair to put that pressure on them to stand up and I guess educate the rest of the team or educate us 
or, you know, what, what do we do in that case? I don't think it is fair. I think that it is the organisation's responsibility to educate, to do their research, to inform themselves um, of what needs to happen and how an organisation supports people. I don't think it's fair because not everybody is comfortable with that. You know, some people, sure, will be comfortable, but um, certainly my experience is that most people don't offer that um, even when asked. And it's so, yes, absolutely not fair to to ask people and, and expect them to educate you. You need to take responsibility and educate yourself and um, widen your networks and tap into different people and, and be supported by your organisation to help you do that as well. This whole concept of tokenism is apparent outside of the workplace as well. We see, you know, panels in, in webinars and, and news and, and all sorts of uh, different settings. And sometimes, you know, you think, well, there's, there's no female on that panel. It's, it's not um, diverse enough or there's no Indigenous member on that panel. It's not diverse enough. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that it's not great to have that representative involved just because we want to see the diversity in front of us or visually in front of us. Look, Madeline, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, I do want to finish with our final question, uh, which is how we finish every episode of High Potential with Indeed. What will it ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? I think it is about cultural change and it is about inclusion and how you embrace people. It is ultimately about diversity of thought and uh, to the benefit of everyone, to the benefit of organisations, productivity, um, bottom line results and uh, education, training and giving it a go. I think organisations sometimes, um, they, they don't take that next step because they don't know how to, but just jump in. If you have good intent, then you'll find a way to to make it work and, and be open to, um, you know, reaching out and asking others how it's done. Just jump in and get started. That's great. Great advice. Again, thank you so much, Madeline. Really appreciate the insights. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to High Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you've found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description and fill out the form. Just a quick note, the information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.